Well, we are, in fact, in week two of the series we call Monsters. And that's really where we're kind of taking a look back at the golden era of cinema, back in the, uh, the early days of Hollywood, and we're kind of going after these iconic monsters of old. Not just to talk about iconic monsters of old, but to see what they could teach us about things going on in our lives. These monsters can act as like metaphors that really help tune us in on some things that maybe we need to deal with. And so we started that last weekend, and of course that's the question, right? Why in the world, in church, would we be talking about monsters? Well, yes, it is October, so there's this little holiday that I know you might have heard of. Happens at the end of the month, I think it's on Saturday this year. And if you drive around town, you'll see people, sometimes people go way crazy with their decorations for this, this little holiday we call Halloween. But it's October, people think about monsters. And the thing is, you know, why would we talk about it in, in church? I mean, aren't monsters, you know, these horrible things, they're evil, even satanic? Well, we're not leaning that way in this series. What we're trying to do is see how sometimes pop culture can springboard us into really important conversations about scripture, that God can speak to us even in something as crazy as monsters. So here's what I want to do to get us started today, just to get some interaction going, okay? You got some people around you. If you're online with us, we're glad that you guys are here with us. So I'm going to do something. There's a little poll that I'll take. So you got some people around you right now if you're in person. I want you to tell the person around you your favorite monster movie monster TV series, or monster book. Go ahead, take a few minutes, do that real quick. Could be the Adams Family, the monsters. If you're online with us, hey, we want you to jump in on the chat and put it in there for your host. Tell us what your favorite monster movie, film, book is. Monsters, Adams Family. A few years back, there was an animated feature film called Monsters, Inc. Anybody ever see that, right? Well, last weekend we did talk about Dracula, and, and we, we used that Dracula metaphor to discuss situations, people, and circumstances that threaten to suck the life right out of us. People, circumstances, and situations that threaten to suck the life right out of us. And we learned last week that the best thing that we can do in situations like that is to bring things to light and bring them to the cross. Bring things to light, really call them what they are. Bring them to the light and bring them to Jesus. And in that way we can handle those Draculas and those vampires. And we learned last week, right, there's hope for vampires and Draculas. It's at the light, it's at the cross. And so we talked about that last week. And today we're going to cover another monster, Frankenstein. Arguably, arguably one of the most loved monsters out there, if we can say that. So we're going to talk about that, but my name is Pastor Ben. I'm so glad you're with us today, whether that be in person or online. We're so glad that you have made a point to, to, to start your week right. Why do we gather on Sundays like this? We and Christians, Christ followers all over the globe right now, pause in our week, and this is the first day of the week on Sunday. We meet together to once again lift up the name of Jesus. Because 2,000 years ago, a guy from an obscure town, this Jesus of Nazareth, was born in a miraculous way, lived a perfect life, died on a Roman cross for our sins, but three days later he, he rose from the dead, and he changed human history forever. 
And so this first day of the week, we gather. So it's so important that you've gathered with us today, whether that be in person or online. So let's pause for a moment, pray, and then we're going to talk about Frankenstein. Let's do this. Father, we thank you so much for your love and faithfulness. Your mercies are new every morning. It's the first day of the week, and we elevate you as King of kings and Lord of lords. We celebrate you uh, in, in, in our worship gathering today. Father, would you speak by the power of your Holy Spirit to every heart here that we would leave this place changed. And the, Father, you give us the, the strength and the courage to defeat monsters that we find in our lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so let's just have a little nerd moment, if you will. I am a nerd. Some of you are, are nerds as well. I like uh, comic books and Marvel films and all that. This particular story, Frankenstein, you may not know a whole lot about. Frankenstein, the original title of the book was Frankenstein or Modern Prometheus. And that was the original title. It was written by an 18-year-old girl named Mary Shelley in the early 1800s. And since this book was published in 1816, it's never been out of print. It's considered the first science fiction story. The first science fiction story. This 18-year-old gal wrote this. Never been out of print. Now, modern versions of the story, they don't include kind of the nod to Prometheus. Now, I don't, I'm not a Greek mythology expert by any means. Some of you might know about, more about Greek mythology, Zeus, Apollo, those, those sorts of things. But apparently there, Prometheus was this, I think, god of fire, and he's kind of credited with the creation of humanity. And so that, you see the tie-in, if you know the story about Frankenstein, because the story of Frankenstein is this Dr. Victor Frankenstein. He is trying to create a, a living creature out of dead human parts. I know it sounds very creepy, but that's kind of what the story is about. Now, what he ends up creating didn't quite work out the way he had hoped, but that's the story. He creates this, this creature, this lifelike creature, out of dead human parts. And oftentimes, people mistake the creature for Frankenstein when actually Frankenstein is the name of the doctor that was going to try to do this great human feat of creating something from dead human parts. And he does, if you know the story, spoiler alert if you don't, he does end up succeeding, albeit not exactly uh, as he had hoped. Things kind of change directions on him pretty fast. That's what the story is about. But I just want to pause for a moment. And I want to ask this question. I want you to think about this. Haven't we as humans been trying to do that ever since the dawn of time? Now hang with me here. You may not, well, you're like, hey, wait a minute, I haven't tried to create a Frankenstein monster. No, we have been, and humanity has been guilty of this since the beginning of time. We are always trying to find life in dead things. And oftentimes it leads us down roads we never intended to go. We're always trying to find life in dead things. We're trying to create. In fact, the Bible uses terminology that we would call idolatry. And that many times in human history, people would create, you know, little wood statues and shrines and everything, and they would cut themselves. We're always trying to create something living out of dead, lifeless things. And the Bible will use language like this. You keep creating things that have ears but can't hear. You create these things that have eyes but they can't see, and they have mouths but they can't talk. Haven't we been trying to do this since the beginning of time? Trying to create living things from dead things. So the premise of this novel is a little bit creepy. I get that. 
But when this movie actually hit the silver screen, now I've got a, an image up here. This is Frankenstein. That's the most common, right? That is a guy named Boris Karloff. But before we get to Boris, they, they actually tried some other movie adaptations. That first one's a creepy one. I think that's a silent film back in the day. And I don't know if you've ever seen that one. I actually haven't seen it. But, but most people think about Frankenstein. They think of Boris Karloff playing the role of the creature. Now, this was one of his first roles. He was kind of starting out as an actor. This is, again, the golden era of Hollywood. And so he portrays this Frankenstein's you know, creature. And the thing that's interesting is the movie kind of does a twist. The movie became super popular, and his, his career like springboarded because he played the creature. But as he played the creature, the way he portrayed the creature, people got on his side. Like, when you're watching the original film, if some of you have probably seen the original film, I think it's black and white and everything, but like at some point you start rooting for the creature, right? You start saying, yay, creature, let's protect the creature. I mean, you see the creature kind of doing these kind of human-like things, and then pretty soon you're rooting for the creature because the, the townspeople are all kind of like, we don't want this crazy creature. And so the townspeople, kind of these angry mobs come to destroy this creature, and so your heart kind of goes out to the monster. Have you ever been to any kind of costume party or whatever, and someone tries to pull off the Boris Karloff with the bolts in that? Have you seen that? He's kind of the icon. But yeah, people began to kind of resonate with the story of the creature, those, those moments where we feel kind of attacked by, by people. So it became super big uh, career booster for him. But here's the idea. The whole idea behind it is Dr. Victor Frankenstein thought he could, in a sense, best God by being able to create life. I mean, that's really the, the whole heart of the story. That he thought by science and his great brain, he was going to somehow create life. You know, certainly God can't be the only one. So he thought he was going to do this by his own great skill. Now, I kind of like the portrayal that starred uh, uh, Gene Wilder over here in the bottom called Young Frankenstein. Anybody ever see that, that version of it? Some of you guys online? Yeah, it's an older one too. I think it came out in the 70s. But it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek version of the Frankenstein. So I, I like humor. That made it a little less creepy for me. But let's level here. Let's level here. Because this story has captured human hearts for a long time. And I think there's a real reason why. In, in, in 2019... BBC News actually did a poll, and they found that for, for, for most, most people in our modern era, this story, Frankenstein, falls into the top 100 most influential novels of all time. And like I said before, it's never been out of print. So let's talk about this a little bit. So what does all this mean? Well, here's the question. What are you creating. What are you creating? No, it may not be that you're trying to create a creature from human body parts, but, but just hold on to that. What are you creating? Or what have you created in your life that, who knows, may be haunting you now? See, we create whether we realize it or not. And I realize sometimes we put people that create in like two categories. Either you're very creative or you're not creative. E either you could play an instrument or you can play the radio. We've kind of made this dichotomy that, oh, there's this elite group of people that are the creating type, and then the rest of us are kind of left behind. But I don't really think that's true, that actually we create things all the time. Yes, there are some that are born with some more natural creative abilities. I get that. 
But we all create, whether we realize it or not. Meals, we create meals. Some of you are very good at it, and I enjoy eating your meals. You create meals. You, you create relationships. You kick off and start and create careers. Maybe a small business. We often don't think about it. Some of you are really good at creating messes. Anybody get a witness on that? Online, huh? You're pointing to somebody in the room. Don't do that. It's rude. We create all the time, whether we realize it or not. Why do we create? Why? We are, we are created in God's image. And do you know that he is quite the creator? He creates, we are created in his image. We are image bearers. So naturally, whether we recognize it or not, we are creating all the time. For good or for bad, we are more creative than we realize. You know, some people can create even by coming into a room. Some people have a charisma about them, you know, a very charismatic person. They can enter a room or a boardroom or something in a meeting and they can actually change the whole mood of the room. Have you ever experienced something like that? We create all the time. Sometimes we don't even know what we're creating. We can create mood, we can create momentum, but we can also create problems, can't we? We can create drama. You ever heard that drama llama issue? We can create drama, we can create stress on people, we can create, to some degree, very hostile environments if we're not careful. We create things, and sometimes, here's the, here's the rub, we can sometimes create things that stick around and take on a life of their own and come back to haunt us. We can create like that too. Some of you know how that feels. We are creating all the time. No, it's not like Dr. Frankenstein, but we're creating all the time. The truth is, if you, are, if you and I are not connected in a meaningful way to the real creator of heaven and earth, we will try to go anywhere else to try to find meaning in life in even things that are dead. Without connection to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, we will try to find life in dead things over and over and over again. And oftentimes it kills us. It can kill us. If you have a Bible or a device... Find Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. We're just going to be a little bit, and it's going to be here on the screen, but I encourage you to have that on your device or your tablet. Have a printed Bible. I'm kind of old school. I like the printed Bible. Acts chapter 17. I'm not going to read the whole thing. If you've never read Acts chapter 17, it's an amazing chapter. This is just so amazing on so many different levels. We're not going to be able to really do anything but scratch the surface of it today. But let me set up for you what's going on here. The early church kind of began, I mean, Jesus' crucifixion and everything happened around the city, the ancient city of Jerusalem. Well, when Christ followers began to, to form into groups and form a church, they began, the, the church age started around the Jerusalem area, still there today. It began to expand, however, to all over the ancient Roman Empire. And for the first time, you know, people who were disciples of Jesus could actually travel safely because they, were, they had roads that were guarded by Roman soldiers. That had never happened in the ancient world. All of a sudden, you could travel. So what you saw is the ancient Christians were going to these different towns and cities. Some are still there today. They would go to these towns and they would tell people about the good news of Jesus. And it was such good news against the, the, the plethora of, of world religions and, and Greek mythology that the Roman Empire was so used to. And so these Christians would go everywhere. One particular Christian, a guy named Paul, 
he is traveling with some companions and he's visiting these cities and starting churches and he gets to a town that is still, again, there today, a town called Athens in Greece. And he arrives there and he's looking around the town. You know, he's kind of taking stock of the town and he gets kind of annoyed. It's interesting. I would love to meet the guy Paul because I would just love to just walk around with him for a while and just see the kind of things that he would say. But he's walking around and he's seeing all these shrines and little areas where you could sacrifice to gods and usually you had to pay for that, right? You had to pay a little bit, then you had to go sacrifice. It was a very crazy system. He sees all this going on in Athens. And there's a couple places in Athens, and they're still, again, still there today, I keep saying that, but they still are there. There's, there was a couple places where people would gather just to kind of like uh, share ideas, uh, kind of like a, a forum or whatever, if you will, maybe like, a, like we would have Facebook groups or something. Well, they would get together and they would just chat about ideas. And one of those places maybe was, was up on a hill. I actually haven't been there, but it was a place where people would gather, philosophers and, and, and religious experts, and they would just gather and share new ideas. They wouldn't actually accomplish anything, but they just like to talk all day long. That's what, I don't know what they, how their jobs were. I don't even, they blogging, I don't know. But they would gather, and one of the places was the Areopagus. Right, and so, so there was a place where everybody was gathering, and so Paul got invited to come to this Areopagus because people kind of got wind that he was teaching some new teachings, and they just wanted to find out what was going on. So in Acts chapter 17, he gets a chance to address the crowd. And let's start with verse 22 in Acts chapter 17. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very, very religious, right? For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. The God who created heaven and earth does not need man's constructs to bring life. The God of heaven and earth doesn't live in these little shrines that you guys keep making. In other words, y'all been looking for love in all the wrong places. You've been making these little spots everywhere you go. And I get that Paul's got a little bit of an attitude, I think, when he's saying this. Again, I would have loved to have been there that day. But he's saying, you guys are trying to, like, find, you know, God in these dead things. They will never, ever satisfy. You see, and I wonder about you and about me. Are we like these ancient Athenians? That, that we are also kind of tempted to try and, and to make and find meaning in worthless things? Are we trying to find some kind of life in things that will never bring us life? Are we creating and worshiping things that really never deserve our attention? These are questions, right? What do we do with this? See, only in Christ can we connect to the real God who created everything. We are made for so much more than consuming the next thing, than running to the next pleasure, this next temporary high, fogging a mirror for 70 or 80 years, and living a life of mediocrity. Apart from a life in Christ, connected to Christ, you and I will look for life over and over in dead things. 
kind of like Dr. Frankenstein going to dead human parts to try to bring something to life. It never works, and it usually creates something much worse than we ever would have hoped. We try to find life in dead things. Maybe some of that for you is success. You're looking for that next promotion to, to somehow give you validity and, and create your identity. Maybe for some of you it's pleasure or it's comfort, having that nest egg so you can retire. You know, it's, Then I'll be secure and then I'll be happy. Or we'll go all over the place. We'll look for wealth. We'll go to fame, companionship. We'll go to sex. We'll go to status, acquiring more stuff. We will try to find life in that next Amazon box that shows up on our doorstep. We will try as we might to keep consuming and consuming, and we keep trying to find life in what? Dead things. Not that these things are always bad, but they're not going to bring us life. Not the life that Jesus promised to us. They are dead things. They don't make a life. You know what usually happens? This is the human condition. We go after all these dead things that don't bring us life, and what do they end up doing? They end up putting hooks in us. Pretty soon, we're codependent, or we're addicted, or we're we're now tempted to abuse or we're creating stress and we're just living with this emptiness apart from God, the true connector of life. We will look for life in dead things. And at the end of the day, we find ourselves, if we're not careful, just kind of getting to this point where I guess this is just as good as it gets. I guess just living a mediocre, a mediocre life is the best we can do. And we'll just start settling for living for the next weekend. I think God has so much more for us than that. We cannot breathe life into dead things and they can never bring us life. You know, it, it might spark for a second, but nope, they're dead. They're dead things. If we're trying to find life in anybody but connecting to God our Father, the Creator, through Jesus Christ, we will find uh, that we're pursuing everything that eventually harms us. We all want to feel alive, but those dead things can't do it for us. They run into obsessions and addictions and pursuits, and nobody wants a monster on their back, right? Nobody wants that monkey on your back. Uh, many of you didn't get to meet my Uncle Gordon. My Uncle Gordon, that guy's the funniest guy. Uh, he was always the life of the party. Ever since I was a kid, uh, he, he, boy, he was just always teasing you, just always had a smile on his face. That, it, it was fun to be around him, but one thing that, that was really hard for my, for my Uncle Gordon is he struggled most of his life with the bottle. He struggled with, with alcohol. And, and, and Gordon, it haunted him every day up until a few years ago when it finally caught up with him and took his life. And I think about Gordon a lot because he was trying to find, at least in some small manner, Life in something that was dead. Life, meaning, pursuit, happiness. And it, and it caught up with him. And he could never quite defeat that monster on his back. And I remember standing in a bar a few years ago and saying a final prayer over my, over my uncle. And I just thought, you know, we got to be careful. And I love my uncle. We got to be careful that we're not trying to find life in dead things. They don't ever do it for us. But we'll try. Man, we'll try. And we'll keep jumping from thing to thing, thinking that's going to bring us life. It can never bring us life. Those dead things can never produce 
life. And for my Uncle Gordon, it started with you know, being the life of the party, social drinking. But it ended his life way, way too early. And every time I put on an album, he had a, he had a vinyl collection of records. And uh, every time I put on an album and I flip it over and it has my uncle's name on it, I think about him. And I pray about us. I pray about the family. I pray about times that we keep trying to find life in dead things. We can't do it. We simply cannot find life in dead things. And the thing is, Satan knows it. He knows it all too well. He will push us away from God into anything that we think might give us a glimmer of hope. But if I'm reading scripture correctly, there is only one who can bring life. There is only one who rose from the dead and changed human history. There's only one that can bring us life, and we have to be connected to him. If we're not, we get sidetracked in all these things that steal life away from us. Jesus said in John 10.10, I have come, not that you have a mediocre life, not that you have an okay life. He said, I have come that you might have life and life to the full. That's what I want. I hope you guys want that. I hope you want that. Life to the full. We cannot find life in dead things. So I only have one point today. And this is something, it's not something that you just, you learn in Sunday school or you learn when you first say yes to Jesus. This is something that's a daily reality for me. And I hope it's a daily reality for you. Only Jesus brings us life. The scriptures tell us in Hebrews 12 2, He is the author and perfecter of our faith. We look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We cannot look to dead things to bring us life. Only Jesus brings us life. And that's the question for you today. Are you living that abundant life that God has called you to? Because there's more to life than going from the next pleasure, the next pursuit, the next thing that's dead. There's more to life than that. He wants you to have the life to the full. Or else we'll be ever consuming, ever pursuing, ever looking for love in the wrong places. Only Jesus brings us life. If you've never made that declaration, if you've never said, yes, I need the life that Jesus has for me. I've been looking for life in dead things. If you've never made that decision, you can do that today. We'd love to hear about that. Whether you're here in person, we've got a connections booth back there. We also have online folks. You've got some great people that are helping you on the chat window. Reach out. If you need prayer or you need to make a decision today, we would love to celebrate that with you because only Jesus brings us life. Everything else will not work. We can't find life in dead things, no matter what Dr. Frankenstein was trying way back in the day. I'm going to pray for us here in a minute, but again, if you have a decision, if you have a prayer request, please put that in the chat window or let us know in the connections booth. Uh, Don't leave today without uh, without doing some business with the Lord. All right, let's pray together. Father, we come before you. You're so powerful and mighty. Your mercies are new every morning. You teach us a lot through these monster metaphors that, Father, there's dark sides of our nature. There's pursuits that we go after. Father, I pray that every person in this room would would, would take the challenge not to continually try to find life in dead things. That, Father, we would look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. We would turn to Jesus as the only true life bringer, the true creator. So, Father, I pray that each of us would have the courage to confront the monsters and to turn to you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.